there's a new COVID variant. And it's called Omicron. The Omicron variant is the most infectious and vaccine resistant variant yet. So we all need to be very afraid. Okay, that's enough of the fear. What is this really all about and how were variants discovered? I'm going to explain all of that in this episode and then we can see the same variant in its true context. So let's start with this article. This is in the Daily Mail. Why is the Omicron variant so scary? Super strain has evolved to have all of the worst mutations of Alpha, Beta and Delta combined, plus new ones that could make it the most infectious and jab-resistant variant ever. The Botswana COVID variant, described by experts as the worst strain ever, has all the worrying mutations from previous versions of the virus that's never been shown to exist scientifically plus many more that could make it the most infectious and vaccine-resistant one so far. The super strain has acquired the mutations of Delta, which made that variant so transmissible that it became world-dominant in months. And the new variant also includes the vaccine-resistant alteration seen on Beta, another strain of concern that emerged in South Africa and was thought to be best at escaping the immune system until now. It also contains a dropout mutation that helped the Alpha variant take off in the UK last winter, in total, the new super strain has 32 mutations on its spike protein, more than any variant before it, and twice as many as Delta. It contains two unique alterations on a specific part of the spike, which help viruses open the door to human cells. All warning signs suggest that it will become world-dominant in months, but scientists have cautioned they have not confirmed any of the effects of the mutations in the laboratory. They have not confirmed the variant in a laboratory, or the original virus. South Africa's population has very high levels of natural immunity and seems to be spreading spreading with ease, which UK experts think may allow it to easily infect former COVID patients. COVID patients, people who tested positive with a test can't test for a virus and maybe have symptoms from other causes. But there is no rise in hospitalizations in the region, which raises hopes it could be a, a milder COVID iteration. Experts say it is the worst variant they've ever seen and are alarmed by the number of mutations it carries. The variant, which the World Health Organization has named Omicron, has 32 mutations on the spike protein most ever recorded and twice as many as the currently dominant Delta strain. Experts fear the changes can make the vaccines 40% less effective in a best-case scenario. This is because so many of the changes on B.1.1.529 are on the virus's spike protein. The current crop of vaccines trigger the body to recognise the version of the spike from older versions of the virus. But because the spike protein looks so different on the new strain, the body's immune system may struggle to recognise it and fight it off. It also includes mutations found on the Delta variant that allow it to spread more easily. Experts warn they won't know how much more infectious the virus is for at least two weeks and may not know its impact on COVID hospitalisations and deaths for up to six weeks. The Botswana variant has more than 50 mutations and more than 30 of them are on the spike protein. It carries mutations which are rarely seen together and can make it yet more jab resistant. The mutations may also make it easier for the virus to sneak into the body's cells and more transmissible than was previously seen on the Ken Alpha variant and Beta among others. The mutations could also make the virus more infectious while a mutation while one mutation could increase its transmissibility. It also carries mutations that are similar to those on the South Africa beta variant that made it better able to dodge vaccines. It also has mutations which were linked with the surge of cases in the state in March that has been linked to antibody escape. Other mutations of the virus. Experts said it will be weeks until they know how worrying the new variant is, so it is not yet clear what extra steps might need to be 
steps might need to be taken in the run-up to Christmas. The only restrictions brought in by the government so far has been to add six countries to their red list. But Professor Adam Finn, a member of the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, said new restrictions cannot be ruled out. Well, the variant has been invented, made up, to justify those restrictions. So, of course, they can't be ruled out when that is the reason for the announcement of the variant. No other reason, by the way. Uh, Professor Adam Finn told Good Morning Britain, on one hand, I don't want to induce unnecessary anxiety in people. Uh, well, you don't, but the idea is to do that, to justify what is planned. But on the other hand, I think we all need to be ready for the possibility of a change in the restrictions. That's the idea. And when asked what the situation would mean for the UK around the festive period, Health Secretary Sajid Javid said Plan B measures, including mandatory face masks and working from home, will be brought in if needed to control infection rates. In other words, that's the plan. The World Health Organization has classified the virus as a variant of concern, the label given to the highest risk strains. This means World Health Organization, owned by Bill Gates, experts have concluded its mutations allow it to spread faster, cause more severe illness or hamper the protection from the vaccines. The Health Secretary announced six countries will be added to the red list from midday on Friday, November 26th. The red listed countries are South Africa, Botswana, Eswatini, where is that? Lesotho, Namibia and Zimbabwe. This means all direct flights in these countries to the UK are banned. And the UK Health Security Agency classified B.1.1.529 as a variant under investigation, which means it has worrying mutations. Experts will now conduct a risk assessment and may increase its ranking to variant of concern if it's confirmed to be more infectious. Cause more severe illness or make vaccines and medicines less effective. And what it is found to do will be based on what the government wants to do. The first case was uploaded to international variant database Gizade by Hong Kong on November 23rd. The person carrying the new variant was travelling to the country from South Africa. The UK was the first country to identify that the virus could be a threat and alerted other nations. Since then, 77 cases have been confirmed in South Africa, two in Hong Kong and three in Botswana. With a test that can't test for a virus, even if there was a virus... Health chiefs in Israel announced it had one confirmed and two suspected cases, while there are two suspected cases in Belgium. Experts believe the strain may have originated in Botswana, but continental Africa does not sequence does not sequence many positive samples, so it may never be known where the variant first emerged. Scientists have warned the new strain can make COVID vaccines 40% less effective, but they said emergence of the mutant variant makes it even more important to get a booster jab the minute people become eligible for one. Isn't it interesting that this variant is discovered at around the time that everybody who's going to get a vaccine has got one. So they need to come up with something to encourage people to get vaccinated who haven't yet. The vaccines trigger neutralizing antibodies, this article says, which is the best protection available against the new variant. So the more of these antibodies a person has, the better experts said. Health Secretary Sajid Javid said the booster jab was already important before we knew about this variant, but now it could not be more important. Timely, isn't it? Data on how transmissible the new variant is and its effect on hospitalizations and deaths is still weeks away. The UK has offered help to South Africa, where most of the cases are con concentrated to gather this information and believe they will know more about transmissibility in a few weeks. But it may be four to six weeks until they know more about hospitalizations and deaths. The strain was scientifically named as B.1.1.529 on November 24th, one day after it was spotted in Hong Kong. Spotted, as in it was seen. I've never bloody seen it. Of course, one of the policies justified by the Omicron variant is 
masks. This is in the Spectator from 27th of November. The problem with Boris Johnson's mask mandate. Today, 27th of November, the government has said that for the next three weeks, it will be mandatory to wear masks in shops and on public transport pending a review. Just three weeks to flatten the curve. It was already mandatory to wear a mask on the tube as a condition of travel. So to avoid mixing up ideas, let's focus on the new mandate from the government that people will have to wear masks in shops, imposing a requirement that anyone entering a shop must wear a mask whether the shop wants to accept them or not. It's a straightforward imposition on human liberty. We have accepted huge infringements upon our liberties over the past 21 months. Well, those who accept it have. We did so initially because there was an emergency situation. No, you did so initially because you believed there was an emergency situation because you were told there was an emergency situation. You don't need the real threat a real emergency situation you just need the perception of one and people will act the same either way with the risks at the health service the article says will be swamped leading to hundreds of thousands of people dying unnecessarily for the simple lack of treatment later we did so to buy time for the vulnerable to be vaccinated these restrictions were then phased out gradually over a few months perhaps the phasing out was a bit slower than necessary but the basic concept of the phasing out period was not in itself illegitimate now however there is no longer an emergency as Chris Whitty himself said in today's press conference, the only group of people which are seeing cases rising are small children. Specifically, this is the under 10s, which are the basically zero risk virus. Cases amongst the elderly are falling as the effects of boosters kick in and cases amongst the rest of the population are essentially flat and have been since early August. It is realistically no longer possible for cases to rise exponentially for an extended period as happened in February to March 2020 and in late 2020. And in particular, not amongst older people at risk of being hospitalised by the disease, there is no longer even a remotest, the remotest risk of the NHS being swamped. Absent any emergency justification, the imposition of the public is simple tyranny. If the government had suddenly declared in mid-2018 in mid that it was making masks mandatory in all shops for no better reason than this might cut down on respiratory illness a bit, would you have complied? Of course not. Well, a lot of people would have done, even in 2018. In Britain, it's long been understood that there is a basic threshold of natural justice or necessity for something to be a law. There can be good laws and bad laws, but if a purported law does not meet a required threshold of justice or necessity, it is not truly a law at all. Exactly. If a law is introduced for no other reason than control and imposition, then it should be broken, not followed. A key reason Britain has not fallen victim, the article says, to the tyrannical government seen in other countries is that Britons have refused to accept laws that lack sufficient natural justice or necessity. By refusing to comply with them and being backed in that to a greater or lesser degree by the courts, they have forced the government to back down. A famous example of that is the case of Clarence Harry Wilcock, the last man the government attempted to prosecute for refusing to carry an ID card. Mr Wilcock said he did not believe in such things. The judges heavily criticised the government for maintaining ID cards long after their initial justification. The Second World War had ended and the government backed down and abolished them. To be clear, I don't mind wearing masks, this uh, writer says. I've never worn a mask myself, but this is what the writer says. I wear them on the tube, I wear them at church where that is still our practice and I've worn them in shops when I was finishing recovering from a cold just in case I was still infectious. Some people say there is no evidence that mass cut transmission. I disagree. I think there is strong evidence mass cut transmission to a small but material extent. You think, how can you think there's evidence? Either you've seen the evidence or you've not. If you've seen the evidence then you know there is evidence. If you've not seen it you don't know it exists. 
There's no think about it. Anyway, the article continues. So my objection is not that I find masks unpleasant or consider them ineffective. It isn't even that I won't ever wear them. My objection is that it is not legitimate for the government to instruct British people to be, ma to be masked when there is no emergency justification for doing so. Some people suggest the measure is something to do with the Omicron variant, but the government quite candidly accepts that at this stage, there is no good evidence either way on that. With it, like I said, this was November 27th. We don't know, if, although even now there's no good evidence, to be fair. We don't know if this variant escapes the second or third doses of the vaccines at all. It probably escapes the first dose, but so what? We don't know if it's more or less or equally severe as the Delta variant. If you catch it, we don't have the slightest reason to fear it escapes the serious disease protection in the vaccines or previous infection. It is not legitimate to restrict our liberties in this way just in case. There needs to be certainty or near certainty of disaster in the way there was in March 2020. Before it is legitimate to blight everyone's lives, just in case is not good enough. The coronavirus emergency is over and it has been over for months. It never started. There is no plausible justification of introducing mass mandates at this time, and since mass mandates belong to that class of infringements upon liberty that can only be legitimate if there is an emergency, we should regard them as illegitimate. I refuse to accept this writer says that there is truly a law requiring any of us to wear a mask in a shop and taking our cue from Clarence Harry Wilcock, we should all refuse to comply with this illegitimate edict until the government backs down or shows that there is indeed some emergency that can justify such a law. And if we did all refuse to back down, then the government would have to back the government would have to back down and remove the policy. Because they can only do it when we acquiesce. I'm all about science, me. I've gone deep into the science in the podcast before, and in a new book I'm very close to finishing, um, I look at all the science behind the virus and show why there is no virus, and the science behind the testing, fraud, and all of it. And so how does the sequencing, the genome sequencing of a virus work? Because that then informs the testing and it informs the discovery of variants. So this is an exclusive, this is from the new book, and there's loads in the new book about the science behind the COVID hoax, and the COVID hoax in general. It's a massive chapter near the end of the book. It's important to understand, given that we're looking at genome sequencing, how genetics works, or at least how it's said to work. So try to make this as understandable as possible. DNA, the coding for all life and bodily functions, is transcribed to RNA, which is translated into proteins. In other words, DNA is transcribed means that a DNA code sequence is copied into a new molecule to messenger RNA or mRNA, which is what is in these COVID vaccines, mRNA. Molecules are the smallest particle of a substance that has all of the physical chemical properties of that substance. Molecules are made up of one or more atoms. DNA itself is a molecule. RNA is translated into proteins means a protein is synthesized, in other words created from the information contained in the molecule of mRNA. Each protein is encoded for by one or more genes. Encoding means to specify the coding of each part of the mRNA chain. The instructions in a gene that tell the cell how to make a specific protein, A, C, G, T, are the letters of the DNA code. The letters stand for the chemicals adenine, cytosine, guanine and thymine, respectively, which make up the nucleotide basis of DNA. Subencoding means to specify which sections of 
the mRNA chain will be which code to do a specific job. Proteins encoded four by one or more genes are molecules which perform all the work in the body. They are enzymes which catalyze chemical reactions and are responsible for structural elements of the body, like collagen, which makes up bone, connective tissue, skin, hair, and nails, for example. Genes are short sections of DNA. Genes contain instructions that tell the cells to make proteins. Each gene carries instructions that determine your features, such as eye color, hair color, and height. There are different versions of genes for each feature. For example, one version, a variant of a gene for eye color, contains instructions for blue eyes. Another type contains instructions for brown eyes. You look as you do and to an extent act as you do because of which genes you inherit from your parents and which, you were, and which were activated when you were made and also throughout your life and which remain dormant. Genes can be switched on and off. The genes which carry the information from parent to child are known as chromosomes, which are found in every human cell, and there are 46 of them in each cell. A gene sequence is a code which represents a particular protein function in the body, just as letters represent language and words. Gene sequences are effectively the language of life. Each gene's code combines the four letters of DNA, A, C, G, T, in different orders of three, which dictate which amino acid is needed at every step to make a protein. Each amino acid is a different three-letter sequence called codons. As the cells read the code, they add one amino acid at a time to make the protein. Thousands of DNA bases make up the sequence for one gene which codes for a protein. Now, there is an, an obvious mathematical problem with the conventional view of genetics. I said already there are one or more genes for every protein. 100,000 proteins in humans, 20 to 22,000 genes meaning that for four out of five proteins, nobody knows how the body knows how to make them because they're not in the genes. And there's a lot about DNA that science thinks it knows that it doesn't. And I go into some of that in the new book. DNA made into RNA, which then leaves the nucleus where the DNA is present, enters the cytoplasm and codes for a protein and attaches to a ribosome. And there's more to know about the ribosome as well, and as there is about what cells are actually composed of because it's not necessarily what we're told it is. Humans have 23 strands of DNA called chromosomes or chromosomes together form the genome. Now RNA is never extracted from an isolated purified, purified just means a pure sample, virus particle, but from bodily fluid with several different sources of genetic material. The first paper on the sequencing of SARS-CoV-2 entitled A New Coronavirus Associated with Human Respiratory Disease in China took a bronchoalveolar lavage fluid sample, which is lung fluid, basically, from only one person, one person, with no purification of the virus, meaning the RNA extracted from the fluid sample could have come from many and various sources. Without isolating and purifying the virus, you don't know where the genetic material is coming from. The genome sequencing experiment started with over 56 million pieces of RNA. And while there are long strands of RNA representing long genome sequences, virologists can only sequence short strands, in the case of this paper, 150 base pairs each. The experiment used a novo assembly, which is defined as a type of program, like computer program, that assembles short nucleotide sequences into longer ones without the use of a reference genome. These are most commonly used in bioinformatics studies to assemble genomes or transcriptomes. In other words, a genome is constructed without any prior knowledge or information as a reference. How can you sequence the genome of a new virus in this way? How will you know the accuracy? There's only one way you can do it, and that's to purify the virus, which has never been done. 
No scientific paper on planet Earth, and I've read 62 of them, is described an isolated, purified sample. I produced a video called Paper Talk, which you can find on the Paperview website, paperview.uk, in which I look at scientific papers and show that they don't describe isolation and purification of the virus. In other words, showing the virus to exist and working on the virus in you know, so that you know that anything that you do is coming from that virus and nothing else. And I, I go into all of this in the new book, as I say. So the paper explained the process used to determine the genome, and then I'll interpret what they said. In total, we generated 56 million plus sequence reads that were de novo assembled and screened for potential etiological agents. That means disease-causing agents, basically. Of the 384,096 contexts assembled by MegaHit9 computer program, the longest 30,474 nucleotides had a high abundance and was closely related to a battle-like SARS coronavirus isolate that had previously been sampled in China with a nucleotide identity of 89%. The genome sequence of this virus, as well as its termini, were determined and confirmed by an RT-PCR test useless for reasons I've explained before and explained in the new book in great detail. Uh, the virus strain was designated as WH human 1 coronavirus, Wuhan coronavirus, and is mostly been referred to as 2019 NCOV. This is before it was called SARS-CoV-2, and its whole genome sequence has been assigned gene bank accession number, number you know, MN 908947. Uh, so what does this mean? Well, what it means, if we go through it, the experiment started with 56 million bits of RNA, as I said earlier. 384,096 contigs, which are long strands of DNA or RNA from different sources, were constructed it, without identifying what the sources are, and without, uh, without ascertaining that it's from the virus only, which you can only do if you purify the virus. I mean, it's just common sense. The virologist simply chose the longest content, which was just over 30,000 base pairs long, because it had a high percentage sequence identity to a bat SARS-like coronavirus already sequenced in China from years before, which was sequenced in exactly the same way. Now, 89%, you think, oh, well, that's a high number, isn't it? Well, humans are 96% similar to uh, chimpanzees. You might have noticed there's a bit of a difference. So 89%, I mean, you know, meaningless. This sequence then became the official SARS-CoV-2 genome, SARS-CoV-2 being the name of the virus they say causes COVID-19, the name of the disease. And every paper since has taken that genome as the reference genome uh, without at any point using an actual physical virus as a reference. The final genome was trimmed down to 29,903 base pairs, meaning 571 base pairs were arbitrarily discarded. If they discarded the 571 because they were seemingly not useful, how do they know the final genome base pairs are useful without a purified virus to compare with? The whole sequence was constructed on a computer and with a pathetic PCR test. So how can they be sure? The answer is they can't and the sequence is a fraud. The paper concludes with this interesting statement. And there's a couple of very interesting statements in this quote. The identification of multiple SARS-like coronaviruses in bats have led to the idea that these animals act as hosts of a natural reservoir of these viruses. Reservoir just basically means somewhere you find viruses, basically. Although SARS-like viruses have been identified widely in bats in China, viruses identical to SARS coronavirus have not yet been documented. Notably, 
the Wuhan coronavirus, this is SARS-CoV-2 before they called it SARS-CoV-2, is most closely related to bat coronaviruses and shows 100% amino acid similarity to another bat coronavirus sequence. Uh, thus, these data suggest that bats are a possible host for the viral reservoir of Wuhan coronavirus. However, as a variety of animal species were for sale in the market when the disease was first reported, further studies were needed to determine the natural reservoir and any intermediate hosts of Wuhan coronavirus. So, from the beginning, the claim that the virus originated from someone eating a bat was no more than an idea. So far, no definite origin has been determined, the quote says, for the virus among claims of bats and Wuhan lab and even soup very early on. Anyone remember that? That was before the bats. Because there is no origin, because there is no virus. Virologists and researchers have looked at the coding of the original virus and they say it looks like the virus was man-made. I agree, the virus was man-made. In a laboratory, yes it was. Using bits from a gene bank to couple together a computer-generated fake virus genome like all the other virus genomes. Now, Dr. Andrew Kaufman, who I've referenced many times in this podcast and who I interviewed for my other podcast, Second Opinion. I'll put a link in the description where you can watch that interview. Along with another doctor called Dr. Tom Cowan, who I also interviewed for Second Opinion, has done a fantastic job exposing the flaws in the science behind virology and the COVID hoax. And he uses this analogy to describe the flaws in viral genome sequencing. Sequencing a viral genome is like reading a book. The letters in the book make up words, sentences and paragraphs. Letters of DNA form promoters, genes and chromosomes. The genome is the entire sequence of letters. If you have the book, it's just a matter of reading it. But what if you don't have the book and are not sure the book even exists? Imagine you were looking for a rare science fiction book from the 20th century that was only rumoured to exist. You go to the library and ask for help in finding the book. The librarian brings you to a room in the basement where you find 116 different titles with multiple copies for each book. Unfortunately, all the books have been shredded, but the librarian assures you that all the pieces of the book are there. Guess how many pieces you're going to have to go through? 56.5 million pieces of paper. You decide to try to reconstruct the book. You begin by matching up pieces of paper by overlapping the letters. Tape them together into longer and longer pieces. Not all matches make grammatical sense. Many of the assembled fragments can be matched to many other pieces. You make multiple variations using up every piece of paper. Rules of grammar tell us when words are constructed correctly and coherently, but when jumbling up letters for a genome, how do we know if the sequence is correct? After several months matching the bits of paper, you construct contiguous strings of letters known as contigs. You finally take together over a million bits of paper, many of them are long enough to create several novels. Could one of these novels be the rumoured lost book? How could you know which one? How could you be sure if you've never checked it against the actual book? You decide to pick the longest one and call it a day. Congratulations on completing your task. you found the lost unknown book, or have you? Kaufman is describing the invention of an in silico genome, meaning a theoretical genome. In silico means a genome sequence created inside a computer with silico a reference to silicon, the material used to make computer chips. What Kaufman is not describing is an isolated virus particle which has been sliced open and the genetic material inside, in this case RNA, removed and sequenced from end to end. The viral genome is a computer-generated fiction. Dr. Tom Cowan, who I mentioned earlier, uses this brilliant analogy. 
a group of researchers claimed to have found a unicorn because they found a piece of a hoof, a hair from a tail, and a snippet of a horn. They then add this information into a computer and program it to recreate the unicorn, and then they claim this computer recreation is the real unicorn. Of course, they had never actually seen a unicorn, so could not possibly have examined its genetic makeup to compare their samples with the actual unicorn's hair, hooves, and horn. Again, different computer programs will come up with different versions of the imaginary unicorn, so they come together as a group and decide which is the real imaginary unicorn. Viral genomes, this is, this is me saying this now, viral genomes are pieced together like a puzzle from various fragments of other genetic sequences filling in gaps. We're looking at a computer program creation of a non-existent virus's genome. What are variants then? They are variations of the original computer-generated genome. They are, as Kaufman explains, a failure to reproduce the original results. In other words, they are not scientific because a key foundation of science is that the original results are reproduced every single time under the same conditions. Variant genomes produced in this way, as they all are, constitute scientific fraud because they are relabeling that which makes them non-scientific, failure to reproduce the original results consistently, and calling it a viral genome. Now there are, currently, 5,632,613 genome sequence submissions to Gizaid, a database, a global database of viral genome sequences. 5,632,613 for SARS-CoV-2. So the potential for variance is colossal. And each time there is a difference in the genome, they call that a variant, or they can call it a variant. A new variant has been discovered. Well, discovered, it's just a matter of when they want to announce one. They announce it at the right time, which suits their agenda, which suits the COVID script to justify more policies and more imposition as with the Omicron variant now. There's a whole range of variants waiting to be announced. It's just a matter of when they want to announce the next one. At any point when governments want to impose the next stage of the COVID script, in other words, more in, an, an increased fascism and restrictions, they can simply claim that any one of the thousands of computer-generated variants, which are computer-generated variations of the original computer-generated sequence code, just been discovered, which is more deadly or transmissible and justifying the public mind what they want to do. Now, the alternative media, which operates largely through the internet, but also books and films and documentaries and stuff, have called every stage of the pandemic hoax since spring 2020, and they were saying months back that new variants would pop up just at the right time from the perspective of governments worldwide to continue the fascism and move on to the next stage of the COVID hoax script. And that's what we're seeing now with these new variants that are popping up out of nowhere, because they literally are popping up out of nowhere on a computer screen. This latest Omicron nonsense or Omicron is another sign that this doesn't end unless we make it end. The future of our children and grandchildren depends on what we do today. Let's give them a decent tomorrow.